Well, thank you so much for the invitation, and um, I, I don't take it lightly. Um, I don't plan to be before you long, uh, but I did pastor for a while, so, and a uh, little bit of a rule in the African-American church, if you don't respond, then I add two minutes. So, <laughs> amens, I, I like that, I like that, you know, so, all right. Listen, uh, real quickly, I just want to uh, tell you a little bit about Prairie College. Uh, we organized in 1922, a couple of years after World War I, a few years after World War I, and God has, uh, has his hand on this institution. It is the, the vision to make Christ and his kingdom known, and it has been um, a tremendous blessing uh, being there. I want to turn your attention to when you, uh, first of all, get all that stuff. I don't want to take it back. So there's pens and all kind of things over there. Please, please get those things, um, if you will. Uh, but one of the things that you'll see is that there's a one-year pro program that Prairie College has. And I think it's uh, one of our uh, kind of unique contributions. Uh, the one-year program is referred to as the Encounter Program. And most of our students actually come into Prairie through the Encounter Program. We have over 400 students, um, some internationally, online, through our HyFlex, um, some in the prisons, um, as well residents. And a lot of our students come through our Encounter Program, which is a year program where, it, where if you're just trying to get some semblance of engagement with the, with the community, it's kind of this a try it out. You can get a certificate, but over 70% of our students who come through the encounter program end up staying for uh, degrees. And it's because I believe they, they love the community um, that is developing among the students. They, they love uh, the educational experience. So um, want to just put it out there if there is some who is just thinking, I don't know if college is for me or, or not, try our encounter program. Try our encounter program. Um, we are missions, very missions oriented as uh, the Three Hills area is. Uh, many of our students go on uh, to serve on the missions field. Uh, we have aviation programs, nursing programs. We are in the process of trying to get a bachelor's of ed a B.Ed. program, so we want you all to be praying for that. Um, and um, yeah, so God is doing some, doing some great things there. I am, we'll be move, uh, moving out or kind of shipping out quickly after to head to Shiloh uh, Baptist Church. Um, it's a historical Shiloh Baptist Church, and we have uh, a scholarship, the Deborah Dobbin Scholarship that we are putting into place, and um, and so I'm going to meet with um, some members there. Um, Shiloh has a tremendous witness. God has left a tremendous Christian witness um, there as he has here. And they have been instrumental uh, for things of racial justice and, and things of that matter. And so we're, we're partnering with that. Um, if you're looking for a date, just to keep in mind, keep March 19th. In your, in your mind, March 19th, 6.30 to 8.30, we'll be streaming um, a, a showing of the movie We Are the Roots uh, for our first, our inaugural 
uh, Shiloh Racial uh, Justice Conference. So those are many things. I can talk a lot um, about that, but I also came to preach. And so we, we'll do that. Um, thank you so much. And uh, we, we look forward to uh, what God will continue to do through this church. I was blessed just to hear about some of the things that you, you guys are doing. And we'll be praying for you. Turn with me, if you don't mind, Matthew, not Matthew, Mark, the eighth chapter, Mark chapter eight. Mark chapter eight, starting at verse 22. Grateful for my family being here, my wife. We, in our household, she's Dr. Law's number one. She had her doctorate degree at 26 and helped me get through. And I, I always like to pay homage to my wife who has sacrificed and stood by me. So Mark chapter 8, verse 22 through 26. And they came to the Seda, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he, begged, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. And Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. I want to talk about another touch from Jesus. Another touch from Jesus. If we use verse 25 as our launching uh, pad, as our starting point, it, it says something. It says, then again, he laid his hands upon his eyes. Then again. He laid his hands upon the eyes. And it's, this is at the center of my thesis for this sermon, this idea of another touch from Jesus. Here is the thing. Here's the thing. This passage seems theologically awkward, particularly if we begin to take into consideration some things that we've learned about Jesus in the book of Mark up to this point. See, when they come to bring this blind man to Jesus, the text says they brought a blind man and begged him to touch him. And it safely could be assumed that when they brought this blind man to Jesus for Jesus to touch him, that it is safe to assume that they thought that one touch would do. I mean, why would they think any different? According to Mark 5, as we consider the larger literary context of Mark, this is the same Jesus who cast out a legions of demons out of a man simply on the basis of his words. Why would they think that it would take more than one touch? Surely they thought one touch would do. 
This is the same Jesus, according to Mark 5, 27 and, 20, uh, and 28, healed a woman with an incessant problem of menstrual bleeding, not by touching her, but through her faith that in him, that her mere touching of his clothes would heal her. She said, if I to touch his garments, I shall get well. And sure enough, her faith assumptions were validated. So when the text says they brought a blind man to Jesus to touch him, surely they thought one touch would do. Why would they think any different? This is the same Jesus that demonstrated that his touch was more contagious than the leper's touch. In Mark 1 and 40 to 45, um, we are... We have a story of a, lep of a leper, and people didn't let lepers touch them, neither did they try to touch lepers lest they contract not only ceremonial uncleanness, but in some cases the actual physical disease. But we learn from the Gospel of Mark that Jesus' touch is more contagious than the leper's touch. Instead of Jesus getting what the leper had, the leper gets what Jesus had. And so, as we consider the larger literary context of the book of Mark, listen, something is awkward. It's theologically awkward because Jesus, this, this God-man, is able to speak and people get up. He's able to say things and they're healed. He's able to touch folks and they are delivered. And it doesn't take multiple touches. In fact, he didn't even have to touch them at all. So we could assume then within the narrative world of Mark that when the text says, and they brought a blind man to him and entreated him and begged him to touch him, that it is safe to assume they thought one touch would do. Just want to pause parenthetically and say that's a good assumption. These people who brought this blind man to be touched by Jesus believed wholeheartedly that being touched by Jesus would change this man's life for the better. They believed that if he was touched by Jesus, that he who was blind would now see. It is a good assumption. It's a good assumption then, um, and it is also a good assumption now. It was a good assumption then, and is it a good assumption now? That same Jesus to whom people gravitated for healing, for salvation, for transformation, is the same Jesus that's still able to transform people's lives just with one touch. These are the people for whom all it took was one touch, and their lives were never the same. So why then in this passage do we have this element that depicts Jesus in a way that we're not used to? The text says that he spat in his eyes. We'll talk about that. Spat in his eyes, laid hands on him, touched him. But the man doesn't see clearly. Skeptics love to uh, gravitate toward this passage and others like it and to speak in a very unholy way of our Christ. From their perspective, Jesus failed. Jesus could not do it. He had to persevere 
and then he became successful. He, he did it once, and, it was, and the man was only partially healed. And, you know, he, he says, what do you see? He says, I see men walking around, and they, they look like trees, so he's, he, he's partially delivered. And then Jesus has to do it again. What, what is Mark trying to communicate with this? There is this ironic tension why does Jesus give this man another touch? A couple things, a few things, and then I'll, I'll get on out your way. From the, I, I want to I analyze Jesus' touch from a couple of vantage points. One is from the vantage point of Jesus purposely, and I'm going to give you some alliteration, some P words, purposely problematizing his own touch. He, he, he's purposely making his touch problematic. I want to argue that Mark records Jesus purposely making his touch problematic for two reasons. We learn something about God. Sometimes God's miracle working power comes in stages. Secondly, probably and likely to show the insufficiency of magic spit rituals. Greco-Romans, we'll talk about that in a minute. We have some, some, argue, uh, some data from Tacitus, a Roman historian, about how pagans use magic spit rituals. And we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But, but the, first, the first element is that sometimes God's miracle working power comes in stages. We can testify to that. Not all of the miracles that the Lord has performed in your life were immediate. Some of the wonders that he's worked in your life has been in stages. Some of us have been interceding for family members, for spouses, for wayward children who've lost their way, praying, asking, petitioning God for deliverance. And guess what? He sometimes begins to work wonders in their lives, but in stages. Their eyes have not been fully open yet. But thank God for a God who works in stages. Here's what I noticed in the text about the blind man's healing. First touch, he could not see as clearly as he could, could have seen. Interestingly, he sees better than he was seeing. It's still a touch of progress. He said, I see uh, men looking like trees walking around. He could not see as good as he could, as he, as he could not see. He saw better than he was seeing, but he was not seeing as, as well as he could be. Some ways, though, this picture of this man is a real-life picture of the disciples. If I was going to give you kind of an academic word for it, I would talk about prophetic parables. In Scripture, sometimes you have parables where these stories with, of of theological input and, and, and have a theological lesson. Um, but prophetic parables, like you would see in, in Ezekiel and a couple others, 
Sometimes there are real life events in which God uses these real life events to kind of create a message. We see this with Hosea and Gomer, right? He literally has to go marry a prostitute. We see this with Ezekiel. Ezekiel has to lay on his side and eat uh, human feces and all these kind of interesting things and it's supposed to have a theological message. Well, here in, in Mark, Mark has this interesting literary device in which we call uh, a Markin sandwich. Everybody say Markin sandwich. Markin sandwich. With, uh, the Markin sandwich is a literary device that Mark uses. He, 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 takes, he likes to take three stories and he likes to, uh, to put them together to kind of create a message. And, and we know it's intentional because some of these same stories that Mark tells, um, other writers like Matthew and Luke will tell the same stories, but they don't put them together as Mark does. And so this is, this is, a, this is a unique literary uh, device that Mark used that scholars refer to as a Markin sandwich. He will take three stories and put them together, and in, in the, the continuity there is a message. And here's the very interesting thing. In Mark 8, 14 and 21, the first, uh, the first story or the first episode, Jesus is talking to his disciples and we see something that is relevant to our present context. There's a theme of seeing and there's a theme of not seeing. And so in Mark 8, 14 and 21, he asked them how they, you know, the text says they had forgotten to take bread in verse 14 and did not have more than one loaf in the boat. And he was giving orders to them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they begin to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus in verse 17 and 18 of Mark 8 says, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a heart and heart having eyes? Do you not see? And so they're not seeing clearly spiritually. Interestingly, after the story uh, which we just read, we do see a conversation where Jesus is having with his disciples. He says, who do you say that men, um, who, who do men say that the Son of Man is? It is one of the most important evangelistic questions. Who do you say that Jesus is? Because it matters. They, some say, oh, he's a, you're the prophet or like one of the other prophets. But then who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And so you start to see this progression where they don't see and now they do see. And in the middle, in the, this marking sandwich, is this, this blind man who starts out partially seeing and then seeing. And the, this marking sandwich uh, demonstrates that he is, in many ways, a representation of the disciples. But listen, there's something else going on. We ought to learn that sometimes as God, as Jesus is working with the disciples, as God works, as Christ works with the blind man, so he also works with us. He, he doesn't, he, he's a gracious God that, that, that walks with us. The text says when they brought the blind man to him that he took him by the hand. And that's what, what a picture of discipleship. He, he, he is gracious, allowing our eyes to be progressively open. Maybe, maybe that's something that we need to, to think about and internalize. 
Sometimes God works in stages. Perhaps your marriage is not where you want it to be. Perhaps your faith is not where you want it to be. And perhaps you've been petitioning and asking God to touch your marriage and touch uh, your, these, these situations. Understand that sometimes God works in stages. There's also this insufficiency. I, I call it a, a magic spit rituals because part of, part of uh, the pagan cultures um, in the Greco-Roman context is that we find out from, again, people like Tacitus, uh, a Roman historian and others, we even find in the Talmud, um, that there is some, some uh, conversation of people trying to heal people with spit. And it is interesting uh, it is interesting that Jesus would do this twice in Scripture. Uh, Christ is, is uh, the idea of spit is somewhere involved in his miracle. The only other one is John chapter 9, but in John chapter 9, he doesn't really spit on the person. He spits as a substitute for water, and he makes mud and puts mud on their eyes. But in this case, he spits, and I, whoo, that's, that's, he spits in his eye. Yeah, that's kind of, Lord, woo, I know you're holy, but Lord, come on now. And, and, and um, but the thing is this, is I think the idea is Jesus is not a magician, he's a miracle worker. He, he, he's not like, like these magicians, and so we see um, this, this element where um, it's kind of situated and placed, yet it's not, what, it's not totally sufficient. And yet Jesus comes behind and shows it. That these are some, some elements on which scholars will talk about, either this progressive state or from the background. But there's something then, there's, from the magical background, there's still something um, in regards to application that we can draw from that, though. Because it then means that part of Jesus' role in, in bringing this healing is not to bring deliverance, but to give understanding. This is why right after this story, there's a question of who do people say that the Son of Man is? See, it, it, is, it, is, um, un, it is important, it is imperative that people understand that this is an integral part of Jesus' messianic ministry. The Messiah is to open the eyes of the blind. They need to see and understand, just as the disciples do, who he is. That means that God is working miracles in our lives, not just for the sake of so that we can have a miracle. It is a means by which he reveals himself to us. It is a means by which he puts his identity on display for the glory of the Father. That also means any person who is a recipient of the Lord's healing or the Lord's touch should also seek to get some understanding. And sometimes... That is a major part of our healing. Sometimes part of our healing, part of our deliverance is God enlightening us, giving us understanding. 
You ever thought, ever found yourself estranged in a relationship that you held dear, a friend or a loved one? All this time, you could have been believing a lie or believing a half truth. But then the Lord touches you and all of a sudden something clicks. You get some information. And, and now all of a sudden what you thought you realized you had misunderstanding. Talk to people who thought daddy didn't love them. Thought he walked out on them. And until God touched them, revealed some information through people or uh, through a context and he realized, oh, I had misunderstanding. And all this time walking around with hurt and, and God had to reveal that maybe I misunderstood it. Listen, so there's a privatizing aspect of this touch. There's also a privatizing aspect of this touch. Jesus takes the man by the hand. He, he, he separates um, him in, uh, from the crowd. Mark 8, 22 says, when they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus. They entreated him to touch the man and to heal him. Jesus took the blind man and led him out of the village. There's this personal aspect, this, this, it, it, this privatized, this one-on-one -on -one element between Jesus and a man. He went away from the crowd, walked through the village. And you, I, I want you to kind of put yourself in, the, in, the, in that mindset because it could have taken somewhat, maybe 10 minutes, a little bit more. But here is Jesus holding him by the hand, walking outside the village. What a picture of intimacy. Blind man is pictured on going on a journey with Jesus as the master takes him by the hand, takes him to a place where he will receive sight. There's a proselytizing aspect too, though. Jesus tells him, Go home and tell them what I've done for you. Proselytizing means to recruit to a religious system, but Jesus is not just recruiting to a religious system. He's recruiting into himself. This is about discipleship. And here's the point that the miracles that he does in our lives are to point to him. That time of sharing that you all had, those time of testimony, God has this way of intervening in our lives and touching our lives and is intended to point back to him. He tells him to go home. The touch of God on his life would be a testimony of the messianic ministry to those in his home. When he touches you, it's so that people will get a better understanding of who Jesus is. Prayer that you pray for, whether it is a matter of in need of economic stability. We, someone mentioned about praying for about a job and praying for health concerns and praying for family and then his persecution. Like these things that we call on our God to do is not just for the sake to make our lives more comfortable. It's so that folks will know that our God is real. That they don't know that this Jesus that we serve is worthy of our worship. 
It's part of the messianic ministry. And that's why what you all do with this sharing is such a sacred. Let me tell you what God has been doing in my life. I've got to leave you, but don't get caught up in the misperception that God has to fix our conditions all at once. That's not to say that he can't, though. Listen, sometimes he can do it and will do it in one touch. One sermon can change your whole life. One close call in an accident can open your eyes completely, changing your thinking for the better. One answered prayer for a job can change your financial struggles. Even in the gospel, Jesus is depicted as fixing people's situations completely. He can do it in one touch. But that doesn't mean that he always has to do it. Please understand that this is a major part of how God works. I heard Crystalline Weens talk about one touch, maybe a touch over time. It seems like you're experiencing partial healing, your fight against sin, partial healing, some of the areas of your struggle. Don't be discouraged. Let it be a cause of encouragement because all that means is God is not through with you yet. The story teaches us that God can be expected at times to heal in stages. I don't know what areas of your life you need another touch in. Perhaps it's in your health. Perhaps it's in your marriage. Perhaps it's in a circumstance that you've been petitioning God for. But here's what I want you to know, that I also learned uh, this great truth about our God, that he's not stingy with his touches. He gave the blind man another touch. And when he touches your life, I need you to understand, he also expects you to testify about it. That's what he says. Go home. Not going to the village. They, they're not going to receive it. Go home to those who know you. Go home to those who will understand where you're coming from. Perhaps people who've prayed for you. There's a testimony there. Talk to the blind man. You hear his story. He would tell you that Jesus is not stingy with his touch. He'll tell you that his touch is generous. That if you need another touch, he'll give you another touch. He'll tell you, you don't have to worry if you used up your touches. No, no. The blind man will tell you that God is generous with his touch. I think he might have been happy with the first touch, maybe. He was seeing, seeing a lot better than he was. He couldn't see anything, and now he sees partially. That's, that's better than nothing. But, but Jesus is generous, and not only is he generous, I tell you, he's gracious. He could have just stopped after the first touch, but he gave him another touch. I'll leave you with this. That metaphor of engagement with 
Christ and God is a metaphor that has withstood the ages. We constantly talk about our engagement with Christ through the metaphor of he touched me. There used to be a song that said he touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know he touched me. Oh, he touched me. Oh, the joy since I met this blessed Savior, since he cleansed and made me whole, I'll never cease to praise him. I'll shout it with my entire soul. He touched me. Oh, something happened. He touched me. Hear then the testimony of those who've been touched by our Savior. They will tell you that it is a gracious touch. They'll tell you that it is a contagious touch. That's what the leper, the leper would tell you, that his touch is more contagious than my touch. We've been touched by the Savior. And we ought to go testify to the world that, you, that this Savior, this crucified Savior, this resurrected Savior, can change your life for the better. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Perhaps there are some who are in need of your healing touch, your provision, your protecting touch. Maybe we just need you to open our eyes to, this, to the things that you are doing around us. Maybe there's someone that we've been praying for who needs to have their eyes open to your scheme of salvation by grace. Lord, show yourself triumphant. Show yourself triumphant, Father. Make these touches, particularly even in situations that we've lifted up for prayer this morning, make it so evident that no one could uh, misinterpret it, that it will become a platform that we can say, you want to know why this happened? I prayed to my God, who is all-powerful, and he made it well, and his name is Jesus. Thank you, Father. We pray for this congregation. Please continue to bless uh, the uh, the ministry that they have here. Uh, thank you uh, for their hospitality with other organizations, allowing organizations to host things here. I specifically pray uh, for the parent uh, group with, of, with families whose lives have been touched with addiction and many other things that, that this congregation is doing, Lord. Show yourself triumphant through the ministry that they have here, that others may be touched by your son and begin to testify of his goodness. In the name of Jesus, we pray.